Hi there, I'm Michael Clark, and he's Mike Pereira. Together, we're the hosts of Mid-Credit Scene, a podcast about movies. And this is a Mid-Credit Minute, kind of bonus mini-episode, where we talk about big, important things, like snacks, double features, and more. On today's episode, Scott Williams talks representation in Trek. Uh, you mentioned wokeness uh, in terms of discovery, and I wanted to to talk a little bit about the character of Seven of Nine. So I think maybe if anything, if any one character is a great encapsulation of kind of the evolution of Star Trek from the the late '90s period to the modern day, Seven is a, a great example. She was the the most blatant and cloying example of sex appeal uh, when she was introduced on on Voyager, just like no no disagreement from the producers. We are adding her so that young boys will watch the show. And then if you actually, if that's all you know about her, and this was was definitely something, part of the conversation, you would uh, decry Voyager as just being baseless but you watch that character on voyager she's one of the most interesting characters that they had terrific arcs um terrific character development and always kind of like had an undercurrent of queerness that was never really made explicit and anytime they got too close to the line they would have her you know hook up with chakotay or something like that and, and, and reroute and now that she's on picard they're just like nope queer Across the board, um, I saw a great meme the other day, and it was like, make out with boys, be gay, do crime. And it was the, the car swerving onto the off-ramp. Um, but, like, representation in Star Trek and how it has evolved, how ha, how do you view that, and, and how do you see queer Trek um, as a concept? Yeah, representation is critical, critical, um, in any show, but especially in Star Trek, because of its sort of mission to explore diversity and to push the boundaries and and unite humanity. The original series having, um, you know, secondary leads who are a black woman, an Asian man, someone playing a Russian, someone playing a Scotsman. Uh, that's it was really the starship Earth is what George Takei always calls it. And then the next generation was in a time in America when you know race was still a big was becoming another like a another big concern again like it had sort of waned for a while and then it became a, a big conversation and you had lavar burton who was known from roots um and not much else uh, michael dorn of course but uh, but um lots of white folks and there were attempts i think to to do other things with diversity to have um sexually diverse characters that didn't happen and I, like i people often blame rick berman for that as the producer and i think that's not realistic it was the time period nobody was doing it like when ellen came out it destroyed everything you know for a couple of years um and then it opened up doors so after that they definitely should have had it um so there was a period there where they were behind the times i think on representation for um especially gender and sexually diverse characters and then the the new series is is doing a great job at it, I think. Um, yeah. But 
I don't know. We have to see where they actually take these people. Um, you know, Discovery has been very vocal about their collaborations with GLAAD and making sure that their stories are being sort of vetted by them to, to make sure they're not doing any more of the barrier gaze thing that they did in season one. Um, I don't know. I think, I think people who don't understand the wokeness of Star Trek are somehow missing the point. Like, what have you been watching for the last 55 years that you're surprised that a black woman is in charge of this ship now? And, and there, are, there are episodes of TNG that are, for the time, like when they're making them in, in 89 and 91, would have been incredibly controversial in terms of the, the topics. There's that one episode where, where Riker goes down to the planet uh, where everyone is is agendered. Uh, yeah, so the, the outcast. Yeah, the outcast, yeah. and there's that that episode when with uh, Fonky Janssen, where she had plays basically the the engineered sex slave that imprints on on Picard, and and the 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 moral uh, crisis that comes out of that. That we're speaking to bigger things, but they just couldn't be explicit about them. And I feel like, as you say, by the time they could have become explicit about them, they were more interested in having poor T'Pol on Enterprise uh, get into her underwear uh, at every available opportunity. And it was just like, ah, damn, yeah, you went for the lowest common denominator on that one. Yeah, the outcast is a really important episode for that reason. Like at the time, they were using it as a a sexual thing rather than a gender thing because there was so much conflation between the two but when people watch it today especially trans folks they're like oh there's me um so they were definitely ahead of their the time and they didn't even know it well and and uh, ds9 has you know multiple episodes dealing with dax and and her various identities over the course of of their lifetime you know uh, sorry her in in ds9 but um, having been uh, both men and women over the course of their lifetimes and, and dealing with the ramifications of that. And I, I remember like the episode where, where Jizia interacts with a wife of a previous uh, host. And, you know, of course they played up in the promos that there was going to be the first same sex kiss on Star Trek. And that was the big deal in the same way that Shatner kissing Uhura was a, a big deal back in the sixties. Um, but if you actually watch the episodes, there's substance and, and uh, like human emotion behind it that is hugely important. And I'm sure for a fan base and people who are questioning their sexuality and questioning their gender identities and watching that uh, whenever they are, it's foundational and, and informing and like, hey, they're doing all right with this in the future. Hopefully that's my future, too. I think that episode rejoined was also directed by Avery Brooks um, really sensitively. They, they like they knew it was going to be a big thing and he was very sensitive to it and did a great job, I think. And at the time, I would say I didn't know that I was gay. Like I'm maybe part of my brain somewhere in there knew it. But seeing things like that were so critical to being able to identify myself. Um, and now, of course, there's so much more, which is great. At the time, it was it was really groundbreaking. I I do want to touch on though because 
it, TNG, and I mean, we've talked a lot about TNG, and I think it's it's clear that's the one that that stuck with us a lot. Is is also not perfect. I mean, there's a, I think it's there's a first season episode. There's a few first season episodes that are quite problematic, but there's one that's like full out just racist. Code of <laughs> and, Honor. Uh, yeah, Code of Honor, and everyone's like, yeah, no, we shouldn't have made that episode. Like, they all just regret it it's existed but it's like out there in the world right and i mean that's one of the things i think that i admire about that show is that it it actually managed to evolve like you say scott like it really is somewhat problematic to start with in, in a few places more than a few places but it really does evolve right it really does grow as a show not just individual characters but the whole thing every single character gets the opportunity to evolve and gain depth um, but it isn't perfect for anybody who, anybody listening who thinks this is just a hagiography. We love this franchise, but yeah, no, far. We from also perfect. acknowledge, <laughs> yeah, especially for women. Like it's there's still a lot of sexism and misogyny in TNG, maybe less in DS9 and Voyager, and then way more in Enterprise. Um, but yeah, far from perfect, but moving in the right direction. Yes, when when compared to the original series. <laughs> It's like somebody watched Voyager and was like, didn't get at all what they were supposed to do and went on to Enterprise and was like, okay, to Paul. And they were like, you missed, oh, <laughs> you missed the point. Yeah. Well, what Michael Clark was saying about Seven on Voyager, so many great uh, woman women characters on, on Voyager, like it's the only one that regularly passes the Bechdel test. And because... You have Seven and, and Bolana and Janeway talking science and war particles and all kinds of stuff. And you're right, Seven evolving over the course of the series was amazing. I was so glad when they brought her back. I was almost more excited to see Seven than I was Data in those early card teasers. Uh, just so, so great to see her. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with her going forward. Has either of you come across the whole... Uh domino effect with jerry ryan and obama has anyone heard this story i, I have heard this one yeah i'm gonna tell i'm gonna tell scott this because this is my favorite story so uh the story of this goes that you know voyagers lagging in the ratings it's it's viewership is declining the writers and the, and the producers decide they need to introduce a new element uh, to pique people's interest. So they they cast Jerry Ryan of Seven of Nine to get the young lads involved or whatever. But this requires her to move to LA, which strains her uh, already strained marriage, which we find out much later was, was quite strained, with uh, Senator Jack Ryan, who was expected to win the Republican seat in Chicago in a landslide win. And... Uh, they divorce the details of that divorce come out right around election time later a couple of years later and um basically force jack ryan to step out of the race leaving the republican party with no time to put a new candidate in paving the way for an obama victory which then uh leads to him becoming the president and the the short story is the shoddy writing on star trek voyager paved the way for the obama presidency <laughs> I, I had not heard that <laughs> i mean it might be a bit of a stretch but damn <laughs> i love that story well and jerry's relationships she was dating brandon braga uh when she was on voyager so some people think that she was getting all the great writing because of that but <laughs> 
whatever whatever generated it, it was great. So it, so many fans to have been um, encouraged to go into filmmaking because of Star Trek. It was definitely a factor for me. And when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a special effects uh, makeup artist, mostly because of what Michael Westmore was doing. It was amazing to me. I took all kinds of classes. I got pretty far and then I didn't do that, but I did go to film school and um, definitely Star Trek, because I was reading so much of this rich behind the scenes stuff, uh, it really was capturing you and you could see you know, I could do that. It's awesome. I didn't know you went to film school. Yeah, I went to a Vancouver film school. After Laurier, I went to Laurier first and did a degree in English language and literature. And now Laurier and VFS have a partnership um, for film studies. So I feel like I was the pioneer, even though I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> you, you would have been, uh, you would have probably been like a year or two behind me at Laurier. Um, I think because I I did lit at Laurier as well, okay. um, but I transferred into the program in 2000, so I was there from 2000 to 2003. Yeah, I was there. I think 2001 to four kind of time. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. my my last year, like, because I I transferred in with credit, so I didn't have to do a full year. So I was I was only in a couple of classes. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's awesome, man. That's that's super cool. Yeah, well, actually, I went to Ryerson first for the radio and television arts program, which was super hard to get into. Uh, and then it was the year 2000 and everyone was everything was sort of switching to digital stuff. And they had us cutting, you know, like magnetic tape still. And it like theoretically, that was interesting, but it wasn't what I was after. So I left <laughs> and uh, didn't finish that. Program. And it was I, I have to say, like, it was such a great time to be at Laurier the that that program at that time had such an unbelievable uh, group of professors um, that were doing really really great work absolutely um, it was uh, it was a blast um, so um, definitely wrote more than one essay about Star Trek uh, <laughs> and Xena warrior princess see Xena was another one Xena and seven uh, were on TV at about the same time and they had that real like queer fan base that just grabbed hold of them and they're like no these are ours now uh, <laughs> you don't get to have them back uh, yeah and they also did a, an awesome TV guide cover photo shoots Lucy Lawless and Jerry Ryan we should share that <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> I'm gonna look that up we'll put it on the Twitter feed Lucy Lawless is someone that's actually it's actually surprising that she's never been in track like she was on Battlestar Galactica, which shares so much of the DNA with, of Trek, along with actors. She seems like someone who would who could drop into any of the the modern Treks just perfectly. Um, yeah, I think now that they're they're so short, uh, like she wouldn't be committed for twenty six episodes or whatever. I think totally she could. Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, the Hunger Games movies for the first time. And I think the most excited that I was at any point during the four of them was when Michelle Forbes showed up. Uh, and I'm like, yes, she, finally, she's in a movie that's like, <laughs> has a budget and she's awesome. Like she is, she, she, why was she never the Linda Hamilton of the late nineties and early two thousands? She should be everywhere. She's awesome. She did that one uh, movie with David Duchovny, California. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and then sort of disappeared for a while. 
To hear more, listen to mid credit Scene Podcast on Midtown Radio or wherever you get your podcasts.